Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, amen. So we have uh, memory verses for this series. Galatians 2.20, we, we, we started out with, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Uh, to be honest, it's been busy and I have not printed up those cards, but I'm glad I haven't because I'm going to add two more on the back of that and I'll, I'll have those printed next week. Little cards you can stick in your pocket and you can use to memorize. Uh, Bill and I are also working on some, uh, what do you call it? Uh, bookmarks with all these memory verses. So it'll be kind of nice. You can have something to memorize. Um, boy, I'm glad to see all you guys. Amen. It's been a crazy, like, the holidays are over, and now we're back together and after all that. So I hope you guys have settled down, and everybody got their pony for Christmas and stuff like that. So, but as we said last week, <clears throat> this series is designed to help you as a Christian uh, to have discerning and effective conversations with people that you may disagree with or that, that may think differently from you. Um, I urge you to listen to, the, to, to God's voice during these sermons, right? Um, I hope and I pray, and I honestly do, and I, and I take criticism from very trusted people about these things. I hope and pray that my words and my demeanor are a conduit for, God, for uh, the message that God would seek to, to get across to us. Because these are, as you can see, hard conversations, the title of this whole thing. And I, I want to do this well. Um, for you new people, sometimes my passion can seem, and it's not. I'm, I'm just a passionate guy. I get a little loud when I preach, so be, be aware of that, right? Um, but we get, begin today with this first of five uh, affirmations, which give us guidance for how to love as kingdom people in good communication with others. The basic value of learning from others who might think differently from us um, is a thread that runs throughout all of these sermons. You'll hear that quite a bit. We want to learn to have um, hard conversations with people in love, um, bringing thoughtful perspective to challenging topics. We have no desire or interest to compromise in our our beliefs, our convictions, our values as Bible-believing Christians. Uh, we want to be solid there, but we do want to speak well in our communication with other people. That is true. So you all have a church Bible uh, in front of you in the little rack. Pull that out if you can. If, if, you're, if you don't have one and somebody next to you has one, share it. Keep it in your lap because we're going to be looking up things today. Page 829, very close to the end of the, uh, the Bible there uh, in, your, in that church Bible. We're, we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 17, page 829. And that advises us to this end. It says... Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? Now, we know that we, when we have conversations and we're disagreeing with somebody, if somebody sees our good intention, sometimes they take the good intention and they're like, okay, I disagree with him, but I'm not going to get mad at him because he's got good intention. That's, that's in a perfect world. So that does happen, but it doesn't always happen, right? So we have verse 14, right? He says, but even if you should suffer for doing what is right, you are blessed, right? Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. Now that says to us that God is pleased when we try to do what is right. And even when somebody comes at us 
in a wrong way or as a result of that. But then in verse 15, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. And I think that's probably the key aspect of all of this stuff is that in the middle of all the hotness of life today, that we keep our focus on Jesus and Jesus alone, that he becomes the most important thing, the center thing in our lives. And then it says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So we have a responsibility to understand and to know the gospel and to be able to be prepared to to share that with others. And then it says, but do this with gentleness and respect. Never are we to be going out, you know, beating people over the head with the gospel, using the words of God to be a, a sword and hurting people, but we're to be gentle and respectful in those ways. Then 16, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your behavior or your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander, for it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So wonderful words, very good advice, but very hard to practice when you feel attacked. <laughs> very hard to practice when you feel attacked. We certainly will not do this perfectly. Understand that, right? Give yourself some leeway here. And Scripture urges us that in our anger we should not sin. Chapter 4 of Ephesians, verse 26, right? Not to mention that as Christians, we want our thoughts, our words, and our actions to confront others with Jesus, right? And not necessarily our opinions on hot topics. That's a big difference, right? Yet at times, I do believe that you know, we get caught in the trap of making our message about an issue instead of about Jesus. So if you've done that, if you've been hurtful to people in a conversation, if you've had a hot you know, hard conversation with people, you know, go back to like being five years old and just say you're sorry. It goes a long way in a, in, a, in a relationship just to say you're sorry, right? You know, as an introduction last week, we looked at John chapter 17, verses 20 through 21, if you remember that, um, where, where Jesus prayed for us, if you remember. That's, that's a pretty cool thought. And his prayer revealed his desire for us to have unity with God the Father and with himself and God the Spirit as he does with, within the Trinity, right? And we had said that thought, thought, how you think, right, is the defining factor of unity with Jesus. Thought is the defining factor of unity with Jesus, right? For, or, or for anyone for that matter. Think about, you know, if you were in the plumber's union, right, and you were... Um, Standing in a picket line, you know, uh, with all the other plumbers and, and, and you're there to, and you're yelling at the man as he's going into his office, right? And you're all there to demand increased wages and more benefits for yourselves. And you've all met before this and you've agreed that you want a 10% wage increase and you want vision and dental coverage in your insurance, right? And, and, but, and everybody's yelling all this, right? And they're yelling at the man. And you stand out there in front of everybody and, and you yell something totally different. You said, no, I'll settle for 3%. And I really don't need dental and vision because I've got great eyes and great teeth. I think plumbers are not typically, I mean, Bob's a plumber, right? Bob knows, like those guys would be mad at you. They'd have something to say, right? So unity in thought and voice is paramount in community with other people. And it's the same in our relationship with Jesus, with the Godhead, uh, with the Trinity, right? And with each other. Um, To be in Jesus 
is to submit to Jesus. Revelation, right? To be in Jesus is to submit to Jesus, to conform ourselves and our thinking to Jesus. One of the central concepts of being uh, a Christian is that we are being made into the likeness of Christ in character and in thought. That is the transformation process that we're all supposed to be going through. And in that light, unity is only possible if we have internal unity on primary issues and maturity on secondary issues, gray issues, you know, gray areas, so to speak. You know, we've mentioned some of those last week. We'll be talking about them throughout this series and into the future. You know, one of the gray areas for churches is how do you practice baptism? Here we like to do immersion. Other churches sprinkle and blah, 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 and all this kind of stuff. There's a little bit of an argument about that in churches, but it's not something we break fellowship over, right? That's, that's a little bit of a gray area. It's a secondary issue in a sense. As long as baptism occurs is the important point, right? Secondary issues are where we can have some healthy disagreement. Now, some people get pretty hot about secondary issues where they shouldn't, Right? But we should strive uh, towards Christ together as we seek to understand the scriptures, right? At, at, which are the standard for life and for direction in, in the Christian walk and, and, it, and is the authority for all Christians, even if we don't fully understand it. We want to take in the whole counsel of God, right? We, without picking and choosing what we like and dislike and just incising things out of the scriptures, be, which would only enable us to create God in our own image instead of uh, who God actually communicates himself to be through the scriptures. It's a very important point. So turn with me now to page 805 in your church Bible. We're going we're gonna to look at Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15, page 805. And we see here, that Jesus gets to be head, not only of the church, but of all things, the, the universe, right? Like he, he, he gets to be the head. We're looking at Colossians 1, 15 through 18 on page 805. And that says, the Son is the image of the invisible God. So Jesus is the physical incarnation of God on earth, right? The firstborn over all creation, it says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, which is the church. Right? And we all know that the head is where thought originates from and, 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 and where, where it directs all other parts of the body. So it gets to say where the hands and feet go. And as a Christians, we see this and we understand that we submit ourselves and we recognize the supremacy of Christ in all areas of life and in creation itself across the board. And amazingly, the weird thing I think about this is that we don't lose our personal identity in that whole process, even when we're made into the likeness of Christ. Our, our personal personalities don't get lost in the maelstrom of all that. Um, we're actually enhanced as individuals. We become the better selves, right? And, and, and just because we see that there's willful rebellion um, towards his headship or indifference towards his headship out there in the world, uh, that doesn't change the fact that he is still head of all things. It's just a theological point, a truth, right? So today we begin this first affirmation. God has all truth, 
But we don't have a perfect understanding of truth. God has all truth, but we don't have a perfect understanding of truth. And I'm going to be cautioning us throughout this this series. I want to kind of say words of caution here and there. Because notice I did not say that we don't know truth. I didn't say that. Or that there's no truth. Nor did I say that only God knows truth and we don't know any of it. I didn't say that as well. I simply said that we have an an imperfect understanding of truth, which we do. We can't fully grasp in our finite minds and hearts all that God is and what he, you know, know, blah, blah, blah. You, You get the point. But in all that, we are called... We are called to grow in our understanding of truth at all times. And as stated, truth has been revealed to us in the scriptures. Truth has been revealed to us in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. We have avenues for that, right? So now turn to page 785 in your church Bible. Our central text for today. Uh, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. It is the very last verse on that page in the bottom right-hand corner, Right? Uh, page 785, 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve, And it says this, Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I, now, now, I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God knows me completely. Amen. Right? Now, let's point out that imperfection is not something that is 100% off, right? Thinking of imperfection, we think of a fly in the ointment. There's a lot of good ointment, but there's a fly in the ointment, right? There's, there's an imperfection there. Um, imperfection in the language of the scriptures has a lot to do with completeness. That last word there, complete. We're constantly being made in, you know, whole until final uh, completeness upon Jesus' return. That is just a truth of what we're going through. we've, We've got a lot to go on in the Christian life. We have a lot of information to go on, but we're not yet fully complete. We're not yet fully complete. However, I, I should point out that our right, our, our relationship in, uh, you know, in our righteousness, uh, you know, uh, to our righteousness, or in relation to our rightness, righteousness, I can't talk, our relation, in relation to our righteousness, or our standing with God, how we, you know, our, our, our adoption as sons and daughters, we are 100% complete in that. Due to Jesus' work on the cross and due to his resurrection. That is just a theological point. In terms of salvation, if you've given your life to Christ, Christ has imputed his perfect record. He's laid his righteousness, his perfect record upon you, right? And so when God the Father looks at you, he sees the perfect record of his son, Jesus Christ. He doesn't see my imperfect record any longer. But in the process of life, before, the, before Christ's final return, we are still being made into his likeness in, in, in the meantime. Our understanding will be complete when the kingdom of God is fully established on earth. It takes a while to understand that. It takes a while to walk through that and get that as a Christian sometimes. Now, you can have a diamond that has a that looks perfect in every way, but for one small inclusion in it, you might not even be able to see it with the naked eye. You might need a jeweler's glass to do so, um, but it's there. 
Imperfection can be 1 to 99 degrees or 99.9 degrees off, right? We look, as that, that passage says, we look as if in a mirror, and our image might look a little wonky like some sort of a carnival mirror, but as God reveals truth to us and we grow in Christ, uh, and definitely in the very end, upon His return, the image will come into complete focus and proportion. That is a hope, right? So God knows all truth. God knows all truth. And we currently swim in a culture of relativism where everyone's point of view is considered equally valid all the time. A time when someone's claim to know truth better than someone else is regarded as arrogant. Christians often emphasize like this unique, the unique claims of Christ, you know, uh, we proclaim his lordship, you know, over all earthly powers, and that's all good and right for us to do. However, we need to make an important distinction between God's perfect knowledge of truth and our ability to know truth perfectly, right? There is a difference there. So we must remember that God says to us in Isaiah 55, 9, and this humbles us, right? As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts, right? And that, that's a humbling thought, which leads, to ch- leads us to check our pride when we're in conversation with people. We, we realize we can be wrong, right? So God reveals truth, and we have the task of interpreting it. God reveals truth and we interpret it. God has graciously, as we've said, revealed himself through Jesus, through the scriptures, through the Holy Spirit. But humans are imperfect recipients of revelation. We bring all of our own weaknesses, our own biases, our own cultural blind spots to our understanding of God's revealed truth to us. And we work through that as a community. That's why it's safer to interpret as a body than just as an individual. And one doesn't have, you don't have to look very far in church history or in history to, to find examples of, of groups of Christians uh, subscribing to ideas that were later shown to be false, right? And we, 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 we kind of like look down when people bring these things up. Think of the examples of religious wars in Europe after uh, the Reformation or the justification of slavery on biblical grounds. That was horrible, right? Horrible. Enormous human suffering occurred due to some people's sincere belief in what Scripture clearly taught, right? And we, I, I have to caution us to be fair in history, though. I think that if we could transport ourselves back into time, we would assuredly find that many Christians didn't agree with others who perpetuated hurtful things on, on, on peoples in history. But for, for very understandable reasons, they had very little power to change things and, and things like that. And also, as we said last week, not all who proclaim Christ are of Christ. Not all who proclaim Christ are of Christ. People do things in the name of Jesus without having any internal uh, conviction or connection to him. Uh, and sometimes they're cognizant of this and they're actually being deceptive. Sometimes they're not. They're just blind to it, right? Remember, we looked at that passage last week and it's a sad fact that the wheat grows up with the weeds. That the wheat grows up with the weeds. It's, it's just the truth. 
Now, if you think of the story of Schindler and Schindler's List, now, I don't know if Schindler was a Christian or not. I'm not saying he was. He may have been. I have no idea. I didn't do the research on, on, the, on the guy. But I did watch the movie, right? And you remember that movie, Schindler's List, uh, where, you know, we realize that there are people in this world who have acted, you know, in undermining ways to evil regimes or times, you know, in very difficult times without being outright with their voices, but you know, to save people behind the scenes. Schindler, you know, you know, got very cozy with the Nazi party, but he was working behind the scenes to save Jews. It's kind of crazy, you know, how, how much work he did in that way. How many of us, and you have to ask yourself these questions, how many of us would be willing to die in someone's place by shouting our disagreement openly in such circumstances? Not many of us. Not many of us. We have to be honest about that. We may have just shut our mouths to protect loved ones through our acquiescence in that, that, that time. Uh, you know, I don't know. At some, uh, you know, some may not say things openly like Schindler, but they might work behind the scenes for those under oppression and help in other ways. The truth is that we are very brave when it costs us very little. But bravery seems to dissipate in the face of death, Right? There's a great scene in the film Inglorious Bastards. If you haven't seen it, it's a great, great film. I, I, it was the title, so I can say that in church. But um, it's a satirical look at the Nazi occupation. And, a, and in the beginning, I think it's in the very, very beginning of the film, this Frenchman is on this little farm with his two daughters, beautiful girls, right? And uh, he's outside working, and, and um, they're hiding Jews in their basement. And the Nazis show up. And uh, this man's given a choice at that moment. Either give up the Nazis willingly, tell them where they are right away, or he and his daughters will be killed along with the Jews when they find them. And we have to ask ourselves those philosophical questions. What would we have done? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure. But not all Christians agreed with slavery. We can't say that. We didn't. Which is a large part of the reason we had the Underground Railroad right? Christians hid Jews in Nazi Germany, right? Christians were the ones in the early church who brought in infants off the trash piles in the Roman Empire when they threw them out. It was under God's direction, and it was Israel who participated in the beginning, but then fought against uh, the sacrifice of infants to Baal and Molech in the Old Testament. We're going to look at that in a few weeks' time. The church did some things that were kind of just stupid too, right? It, they used to hold to the earth-centered, geocentric model, right, where you think that the universe revolves around the earth, right? And that was based on some poetic language in Joshua 10 where it says the sun and the moon just stood still in the sky like they rotated around the earth, right? So, so the Catholic church denied Copernicus who argued the sun-centered or heliocentric model in 1543. And it wasn't until Galileo came along in the 1600s where he used a telescope and he actually proved the heliocentric model revealing that the earth revolved around the sun and not the way, other way around. And the church was wrong in, in its estimation, you know? And, and it had to confess that we were basing some scientific reasoning on some very poetic language 
in the scriptures, which we should not have done. We should have realized that the scriptures were being poetic and not scientific in that description. It doesn't make the scriptures wrong either. Honest mistake, but it did have grave consequences. Now, being wrong in certain contexts or being blamed for being wrong in certain contexts or in the past shouldn't push us as Christians to give up our convictions too quickly as the church. Neither should it make us to align ourselves with certain groups in society who simply assume evil or wrong from others without proof as well. Some things that society pushes us to not only tolerate, but also to accept and celebrate, are not good for anybody. Given that they are damaging to the human soul, uh, according to the scriptures. It may be unpopular right now to disagree with some people. But it might be actually be the, the, the loving thing to do, and it should be done well. So the, the sad truth is that you may have to suffer for doing good during this time of history. You might, and I hope you can do that with courage. But we can't be too quick to jump on the bandwagon of certain issues when they flare up in society, given that in time, stories often flip-flop. Have you noticed that? They often flip-flop, and when we might find ourselves you know, glad that we didn't get on the bandwagon right away and succumb to pressure, because there's a lot of pressure. There's a strong desire in many in the church to center ourselves on the social justice issue. Justice, let me be clear about this, justice should bleed through and be reflected in everything that I say and do as a Christian. It should. It should be part of my, a natural part of my character, a byproduct of my being in Christ. Justice should be at the center of everything that I am and do. That's the way it has played out in church and in missions, in cross-cultural missions throughout the world in history and will continue in the future. Our kingdom opportunities and our mission systems are our way to connect with and to earn the right uh, to serve and evangelize people locally and globally, right? In those processes, right, if, and in life in general, if injustices arise and we have opportunity to advocate for people or stand in the gap uh, for the marginalized and even stand in the way of a bullet for the oppressed, we should, We should do that. We should do that. But here's the issue. Listen very carefully to the statement. If social justice becomes the church's central goal, it's lost sight of Jesus. If social justice becomes the church's central goal, it has absolutely lost Jesus as its center. His lordship and his call Uh, upon us to make disciples is always our primary goal in this world. And justice should happen as a a natural result of that. Our church is very, very, very involved in justice issues. We just don't say it all the time. We are very involved in justice issues, but Jesus and his lordship remains our central goal. God's glory, God's mission. That's what we're about. We, you know, we are very involved in justice issues in Syria and Lebanon. You know, we just don't get up here and talk about that all the time. 
We're supporting two people full-time in that region that, that are very active, and this whole group, this whole two, two organizations that are very active with refugees and, and helping people and all this kind of stuff. We've cared for the underprivileged in this community, and, and you probably don't know all that we've done, and, and we want to do more of that, and we want to do it even better. We really do. However, we have a leadership gap right now, both in kingdom opportunities and in our mission system, because Steph had to take a break, and Kara had a baby a while back, and you babies, you screw everything up, you know, I'm just kidding. But, but I, I do believe that right now, it's, it's funny how God times things, I, I believe that gap affords us as a church and as leadership of this church to listen more closely to God's leading and to be prayerful on where we want to go next, what we want to keep, what we want to tweak, what we, where we want to go new, and all that kind of stuff. Um, so pray for us. Pray for leadership in that end to make those decisions. Talk to us about it and things like that. Um, we covered those prayers. One of the very practical ways that Kim and I have approached this desire to serve the poor and refugees is to take in foster kids uh, who have recently come over our borders. Um, they are here with us today. No political statement and all that, just caring for kids. That's all we're doing. And, you know, some people have praised us for it, for us. Some people have yelled at us about it. Hey, little girl. <laughs> but um, we've worked with Kara's organization. Just this Christmas we did to give clothing to refugees through Philadelphia. I forget the name of the organization. Sort of national. Yeah, that. Anyway, but... Um, I think things like financial peace uh, in the future can do much more in, in this area of, uh, you know, uh, we can utilize it to, to do work in, in underprivileged communities and things like that, or the, or the knowledge from that course, things like that. There are other avenues that we're considering, but they're premature to speak of right now. Uh, but suffice it to say, let me just say, we are not quick to jump headlong into issues when they arise, aligning ourselves in ways which may be compromising to our missional call as a church or put in a position of marginalizing certain other groups of people unnecessarily. For example, about seven years ago, uh, there was a local incident which prompted a community meeting. A lot of people got really hot. People came to me, you got to get hot about this, rah, rah, rah. You know, just wanted me to get mad, wanted me to stand up here and say a bunch of stuff. And everyone was convinced in one gr- that one group had acted out of line towards another group in our community. And uh, I went to the community meeting and I listened. And I was a pastor and I was invited to sit in the pastor's circle up front. I said, no, I'm not going to sit up there because I'm not sure what's going on here yet. And I stood in the back. But I listened, and a lot of great conversation happened. It was hot in the beginning, but then it smoothed out, smoothed out. The end result, I think, was that the community listened, that it wasn't all solved perfectly, but they did listen, and they realized that there were very good reasons why this one group acted the way they did, and that the story had been blown up and sort of embellished on social media. There were some very distinct things that were said on social media that never happened. And it made everybody really angry and hot. Um, Everyone calmed down at that meeting. And it was a lesson for me to listen long and not react too quickly. I think there's wisdom in that right now. Sadly, others who never went to that meeting, I, you know, I, they, they never attended the meeting. They still held to their negative views. And I, I would 
meet with them and I would say, hey, I went to the meeting. I, I heard what was said. And they would say, I still don't care. They're like, Rrr. and I'm like, you didn't go to the meeting. But the people that went to the meeting and listened and, and, and communicated, you know, they openly advanced in relationship with one another. It was really nice. Situations right now are very complicated and they're not always as they seem. And we must exercise caution. We don't want to hurt somebody unnecessarily. See, activism can be driven by emotionality, not facts, and sometimes by damaging human desire as as well. It sometimes vilifies others without acknowledging that there is sin on both sides of every issue, or at the very least, that there's possible miscommunication going on. I believe God's kingdom is a just kingdom. I believe that. We should be careful, though, in our current cultural context, given activism can be a humanistic endeavor which doesn't address the root problem of sin in the hearts of everyone involved, that I can be wrong in this, too. Instead, we should be gentle, respectful, and pray for our enemies, for wisdom, for love, and for discernment, given we don't want to find out that we've perpetuated someone else's wrong agenda out of ignorance 10 years down the road. Do you understand that? Our conviction from Scripture, 6 eights conviction as a church and as individuals, I hope, is your conviction as well, that God created all peoples, that God loves all peoples, that He values no one better than anybody else, that God is the author and the originator of justice, that it's actually a part of his character. He's a just God, but only he can do justice perfectly given he has all truth. That doesn't mean that we don't act at times, but we must be cautious and wise in doing so. Do I live justly is my personal challenge. Is it a part of my character to act justly, to speak justly, to love people in a just way. That's my personal challenge. I know it doesn't solve everything. I'm not trying to solve all the, all the issues, by the way. But we all live in this current crazy political situation. I recently saw a meme which made me laugh. Maybe you've seen it. It's a little boy standing in front of a, a, a electrical outlet and he's got a fork. <laughs> and, he, and he's referencing the last election. And he says, top Outlet, Donald Trump. Bottom outlet, Hillary Clinton. Oh, which one do I choose, right? And it was just a great, you know, the obvious joke is that both are going to shock and hurt. And and it makes us think where we put our ultimate trust. Is it in our laws? Is it in our country? Is it in our, our government? Is it in political leaders? Or is it in Jesus? Is it really in Jesus? Immigration in America is a touchy subject, right? I am very comfortable sitting uh, at the table with someone uh, who argues with me that as Christians we should advocate for open borders. I, I get it. I'm equally comfortable, though, sitting with another who says we should uphold our current immigration laws and screen people coming in. I get that. Neither one of those statements is racist or uncaring of other people. It's just a different approach to the same dilemma. Now, I understand. I'm not a dork. (laughs) I understand there are real racists out there. I get it. I get it. I understand both arguments. 
in that sense, though. It's, it's more of a gray area than people would admit. I think the majority of us are just stuck between a rock and a hard place. And we don't need to vilify each other just for being on the other side of an issue. Right? So we must approach truth with humility. We must pr- approach truth with humility. Being aware of all the historical problems shouldn't lead us to not pursue truth because we're afraid we might be getting it wrong now, right? Some of us get a little anxious that we're just going to get it wrong, so we just get stunned. We don't move. We don't do anything. Instead, it ought to humble us. It should humble us and make us uh, more gracious with our brothers and sisters that we disagree with, right? It doesn't mean that we'll simply acquiesce to another's point of view, but it might bring gentleness to our responses, which is very much needed right now. As Proverbs 15.1 says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. That's great advice in this, culture, this, this current situation. So how do we talk to each other without yelling at each other um, about political and cultural issues? How does that happen? Well, first, I think that we realize that the goal isn't necessarily to convince the other person that we're right and they're wrong, right? But rather, it is, the goal is to lead them closer to Jesus. That's our goal as Christians. It's very possible that we're both partly right and we're both partly wrong in these issues, Or perhaps that the other person is wrong about this issue from a theological standpoint, but that doesn't make them a bad person, and it doesn't mean that they don't have any connection with Christ whatsoever. This is the difficulty of Christian life. It's becoming real for us these days, as it should, right? How do we stand on scriptural truth without injecting our own faulty emotion and opinions into the conversation? which, by the way, is a lifelong upwards learning curve. We're all learning it pretty quick, right? Secondly, we sincerely try to imagine a world which the other person would be right. Put ourselves in their, their shoes, right? This might take considerable willpower for, for some of us, but if we're humble enough to realize that we see through a, dark, uh, a glass darkly, just as 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says in another version, just as they do, that perhaps we can manage it. We can look at life through their eyes. And that might just bring a calming atmosphere to our conversation, understanding that people may actually have good intention, but a faulty reasoning process. And that's okay. Thirdly, we choose not to believe that someone's opinion about politics uh, and all these issues is the entire story about who they are as a person, right? Perhaps we can't arrive at any other conclusion other than this person is tragically misguided. And that might be true. But it doesn't mean that there needs to be irreparable damage to our lives, to our love for each other as, as brothers and sisters in Christ or, or anybody outside of the Christian faith as well. I'm praying right now that our church will be able to think well, bringing Jesus to the forefront of life and conversation with others. That sometimes we literally have to look at somebody and we have to realize that they might be very different in 10 years' time. You ever look at somebody when you're talking to them and you don't say it, but you think, "Ah, they could change a lot in 10 years. We all do. 
If people are following Jesus and growing up as they grow old in the faith, their outlook will eventually conform to his outlook. Sometimes patience is the proce- what we need in, in that process with somebody. And we too are still growing. We've got to remember that, right? So pray for others, love well, do your best to communicate in ways which you know, reveal the love and direction of Jesus. Faith, remember, faith is trusting God knows best even when it doesn't seem to make sense to us, right? Uh, calling Jesus Lord means obeying Him uh, even when we don't have a perfect understanding of everything. Even Carl Sagan wrote, and I'm not like, Pumping Carl Sagan is the guy to listen to. But even Carl, Carl Sagan wrote, the truth may be puzzling. Kath, Kathleen sent me this, this the other day. The truth may be puzzling. It may contradict deeply held prejudices. It may not be what we desperately want uh, to be true, but our preferences do not determine what is true. That's good advice from a very unlikely source. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you as we come this morning to uh, the table to celebrate what you've done in our hearts and lives. We want to be great lovers of all people as you are. We want to care for people. We want to be the, 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 the crowd that brings together and does not separate any longer. We've got a lot of separation going on. We pray for unity in this church, firstly, We pray that your spirit, your word would govern our church so that we can have unity here. We pray that we would look at each other without distrust. That we would trust each other even when we disagree with each other. I pray that we would understand that all of us want you to be glorified. That we want your love and your compassion and your forgiveness and all those things to reign in this church and out in the world. And we pray for unity in our world right now, especially unity in our own little community right here. We pray, Father, for open doors to love better. We pray that you would break down walls, that you would pour cool water on hot coals, and that we could actually talk. Father, we bring our tithe to you this morning and our tithe is a symbol of our just our devotion to you we want to give back to you so that we can give to this community in your name we can give to this world in your name i pray that you would bless us as we 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 give financially we give of our time we give of our talent whatever we're giving i pray that you would bless us in that father god so that we can give it well and give it strongly. And Father, as we come to the table, we pray that you would remind us of those people we may have hurt, where we might need to ask for forgiveness, seek for forgiveness from somebody else, and I pray that you would have us do that before we come to the table. We thank you for this. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.